Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Last week we talked about the peace of God that passes understanding and the way that Paul wants them to live their lives in order to experience that peace for themselves. Um, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Um, Make your requests known with thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, And that's how the peace of God is going to reign in our hearts, a peace that goes beyond a rational uh, um, it, it goes beyond rationality, like we don't just look around at our lives and say, oh, here's all the good reasons to feel peace, but instead um, the peace of God can reign in our hearts uh, through following the instructions that Paul's given. And verse 8, he's going to kind of wrap up his theme of rejoicing that he's traced throughout the uh, book of Philippians. And so let's, let's read this. What does God's word say to us this morning? Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. I pray that you would open it to us this morning, Lord. Would you help us to uh, learn from it what you would have us to learn this morning, to recognize uh, within your word that um, you are showing us through this word uh, answers for our lives that apply to us in the way we live our life day to day. I pray that you would teach us things from your word and we'll be forever grateful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatsoever things are true, and probably many of you uh, recognize this verse, maybe all of you. Maybe you can't remember how to say it, because I always get the things out of order. Whenever I try to say them, uh, whenever I'm quoting this verse, I always get those things a little out of order. But Paul's giving this this lengthy list. I think there's there's six things in this list. Uh, He gives them an itinerary of what they should think about and meditate on. And... uh, we spoke last week, I talked to you all last week about the fact, don't, don't we all want to experience the peace of God in our lives? Don't we all want to have our, our minds kept at peace? And um, it seems like to me it's, a, it's something that the world is pretty focused on right now, especially during this pandemic. So there's, there's a focus on um, everything from essential oils to meditation to retreats to um, cutting technology out of your life, all these different solutions But here Paul intimately connects uh, the peace within our hearts with the way that we live out our lives and the things that we meditate on. And I've noticed it's so so easy for me to see, even though I know this is true, that the way I think and the things that I think on are going to affect the level of peace that I have. Um, Have you noticed how easy it is for us to fall into negative patterns and then reap the consequences in anxiety and and lack of peace, but not connect it with the things that I'm doing. Whenever I whenever I don't feel peace, it's so easy for me to say, well, you know what? It's probably because of this. And when I point to this, it's something that's completely out of my control. Am I the only person that does that? I'm 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 struggling with falling into a, a negative pattern, um, and when I experience that struggle with peace in my heart, then I'm like, oh, you know what? It's probably because of this. If I could just fix this thing, 
this thing that's completely out of my control and I can't actually do anything about. But if that were not there, then I would feel the peace of God in my heart. But that isn't the instructions that Paul gives them. Paul does not say, uh, make certain that your life is completely tranquil, free of all conflict, that there are no, uh, no struggles that you're facing in your life, no problems that you have. And so long as you don't have any problems, no struggles, no, no conflict, then you can feel the peace of God reigning in your hearts. No, Paul's talking to them about how they can feel peace in spite of conflict, how they can feel peace. In fact, uh, some of the things that he says in here appear that he's instructing them in a time of persecution. That shouldn't surprise us because this is the church at Philippi. Remember, this is the church that was founded out of persecution. This is the church... Remember, this is the church that's founded in the city where Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. And they sang songs of praise in the prison. It's the same place. That's where this happened at. This is the, this is the place where Paul's ministry begins with a, with a slave girl uh, following him around the city and, and heckling him with, these are servants of the Most High God who've come to show us the way of salvation. It's in this city. So Paul is not giving them instructions here in in. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, his instructions are not about how you can feel peace because everything in your life is just wonderful and, and simple. I, I, saw, um, I saw a meme or something where, where some multi-millionaire, billionaire out there had, had made some comments about how to feel tranquility and peace in your life that were so disconnected from the way you and I live our lives day to day that somebody replied underneath and said, uh, how, to, how to live stress-free? Step one, have a billion dollars. <laughs> but is that really a way to experience uh, peace in our lives? Well, if you, if you look into the lives of the super wealthy, you find out it's not. That many of those people do struggle with a lack of peace, with, with anxiety and, and tension in their lives. But Paul's instructions here apply to you and I the way we live our lives day to day. And they apply no matter what's going wrong in your life. No matter how many issues and troubles you're facing, we can experience the peace that Jesus brings. So here's what he gives. A list of things. What are these things? He says, whatever things are true, are honest, are just, are pure, are lovely, of good report. Six things. And uh, that would be a good list for us to put up on our refrigerator, for us to put maybe on the lock screen of our cell phone, for us to uh, hang on our wall in our home, a list of six qualities of the kinds of things that our minds should be occupied on. Now, I want to I point out, before we, before we dig into the list at all, I want to point out something about the list. Did you notice that this list of things, these are not the fruits of the Spirit? Did you notice that? He doesn't say, you know, uh, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, gentleness. That's not the list here. In fact, this list of these six qualities are actually virtues that would have been talked about by non-Christian philosophers in Paul's day. Uh, in other words, the, um, the, the Jim Ferris and Marie Kondo and, and Jordan Peterson and whoever your favorite self-help guru, uh, Norman Vincent Peale or whoever, this, these are the very qualities that they would have been speaking about, the virtues that they would have spoken of. 
And we're going to maybe make an application about that in just a few minutes because I think it matters. It's important because sometimes we see uh, peace and, and freedom from anxiety in our lives as something completely disconnected from the world around us. That we just we don't need to listen to any of these self-help counselor, any of these types. Now, there sometimes you've got to pick a tiny bit of meat off a lot of bones with some of these people, but they still have there's still merit to some of the things that they have to say. So, so what does he say? He says, first of all, whatever things are true. Whatever things are true. Has there ever been a time when it was more difficult to follow his dictum than today? Today, when our world is literally just saturated with the false and the fake and the unreal in every area. Uh, we could talk about the unreality of the news cycle, right? And so long as I make sure that I only blast the, the news that's on the other side of the aisle from your own predispositions, then we can all be happy about it and excited. But too often we don't analyze our own ideas and the news that, that agrees with our worldview and say, is that really true? Because most people, I want you to hear this, most people do not consume information based on whether it's true or not, but on whether or not it agrees with what they already think. Isn't that true? Most of us don't go out looking to find what is true. We go to find what makes me feel good. Those aren't always the same thing, right? In fact, they're often not the same thing. But Paul begins, to say, begins by saying, whatever things are true. I like to think that Paul, with the kind of radical personality he had, would have just been pretty extreme in the way he cut off sources of of dishonesty and untruth in his life. But that's not true, and I don't want to hear it. In fact, I think Psalm 101 would be a good psalm to saturate our hearts and minds in because of how well it applies to what we're reading here from Paul. Did you notice that? In Psalm 101, I've heard many times quoted the part of that psalm that says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. But I much less often hear the part of the psalm quoted where he says, I will not suffer the one who's dishonest in my presence. He... David, in, in Psalm 101, is, is saying many of the same things Paul is saying when he's saying, I don't want to hear lies. I don't want to build my life on lies. We could talk about politics. We could talk about aesthetics and body image. We live in a world that wants to, to, um, to awaken within our own heart a discontent that drives us to buy products to make us feel better about how we look, right? Because we can't handle the truth. We, we live in a world full of fakeness. Um, I, I've scrolled through whole, there's a, there's a, a thing called a Instagram versus reality where people will point out how unbelievably unrealistic the Photoshop jobs uh, that people will post of themselves on the internet. And it's, it only takes a few seconds to glance at the photo to realize something has been done to alter this picture. This is not real. This is fake. Nobody looks like this. And Paul says, if you're going to experience the peace of God, you're going to have to cut out all things that aren't true. And you focus on whatever is true. Whatever is honest. Whatever is pure. Because, see, there are some things that are true, but they still are not things that should occupy our minds to some great extent. Because they're not pure. They're not wholesome. 
They don't, uh, they don't feed within ourselves the better parts of who we are. Is it the quote from Nietzsche where he said, to be careful how long you stare into the monster, lest you awaken that within your own self? And, and there are people who, uh, who focus so much on things that are true, but they are so negative that they develop within themselves a pattern that, that they, they feed the wrong part of who they are. And I think sometimes as God's people, we think we don't have a problem with that because we know Jesus. But I'm sorry, that problem is just, it's intrinsic to being human. It's not something that God fixes because you got saved and you gave your heart to Jesus. It's also not something that, newsflash here, it's not something that God fixes because you consecrated yourself fully to God and the Holy Spirit filled you and indwelled you. You still have a part of you that can feed on negativity and darkness to the point that it becomes your daily sustenance, the thing that you enjoy more than anything else. And Paul says, no, whatever is true, whatever is true, honest, whatever is pure, whatever is just, whatever is of good report. There's the connotation in some of these words in pagan virtue, it's the idea that whatever is proper. Um, and I thought about this when it, when it applies to, because some of us would read this list and say, Brother Martin, what you're describing here, the kind of mindset that you're describing is a, is a mindset that isn't even concerned with all the problems in the world, just develops this, this otherworldly and tranquil mindset that ignores all the issues and just, just uh, goes happily on his way. What do they say? Ignorance is bliss, right? And you say, it all sounds fine and good, but you can't live your life that way because there are issues in the world that need to be dealt with. And that's true. That's absolutely true. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're an employee, if you're a boss, if you're a politician, if you're a leader of any kind, there are times where you're forced to face unpleasant tasks of discipline. There's times when you're forced to look into accusations that you would rather ignore because that's part of your job. But I believe what Paul is concerned with here is do I allow that, that thing that I must do at times to become something that I enjoy, that I take pleasure in? Some of us maybe have had a boss before that seemed to just get too much fun out of the, the job of disciplining their employees. Do you need to discipline them? Absolutely. Is it something that you should enjoy, feel good about? Say, oh man, I love it when they come in late to work because then I get a rip into them. No. And the problem is, what are the things that I focus my mind upon, that I occupy myself with? Let's connect this passage that we just read with what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 when he gives them in their instructions about citizenship. Here's what he says. In verse 27, he says, Let your citizenship, your conversation, be as becoming, becometh the gospel of Christ. Look in verse um, his prayer for them. In verse 10, I want you to approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Do you remember this? He says, 
I don't want you to figure out what's acceptable for a Christian to watch. I don't want you to find out what you can get by with as a believer to listen to. I don't want you to just find uh, what isn't poison. Instead, I want you to find what is the most wholesome. If you care about your body, I, I have a, a brother-in-law that was going to lose weight. In fact, he, he was, as a, as a teen, he, he was fairly, he was a pretty chunky guy and decided he wanted to lose weight. And he, he became very disciplined and very focused on that. And um, when he was in the store, he would read the nutrition labels. He didn't read the nutrition labels to find out if there was strychnine in it or cyanide. Um, he didn't read the nutrition labels to make sure that there was nothing, that it, that it wasn't rat poison, that it wouldn't kill him. He wasn't reading the label to say, I, I wonder if I could drink this whole bottle and live to tell about it. Uh, instead, he was reading it to say, what is the best fuel that I can put into my body? What's the best thing that I could eat? And some of you, I think you understand that concept very well when it comes to what you do with your physical body. But the scripture teaches us that we're not just a physical body, but we're a spiritual being. We're a whole person. And we have a spiritual aspect and a physical. And when I eat, if I care about the body, now that doesn't mean that I can't ever enjoy something that doesn't fuel my body maybe quite as well as it should have. This morning I had a, I had a, uh, a piece of cinnamon toast. Oh, it was good. Butter on toast and then some cinnamon sugar on it. Mm, it was good. But I don't eat that all day every day, right? And if I did, you all would know about it. You would, you would realize from my complexion, from my energy level, from even the way I think, it would begin to fog my mind and cloud my, my judgment, and it would begin to cycle. So I've realized those things are treats. But sometimes, spiritually speaking, we live our lives consuming things that don't feed our spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? We live our lives filling our stomach spiritually with things that don't feed us. And then we're so shocked because we cannot figure out why we're spiritually anemic, why we don't have a hunger for God and His Word like we ought to, why, we, why, we don't, uh, why, why our minds are full of anxious thoughts. But if we would look to God's Word, we would realize what's happened is we're not feeding on things that are excellent. We're feeding on things that are acceptable. Uh, I, I was just listening to a, a little um, uh, podcast earlier this week where he was, he was referencing how he had a roommate in college that one of the things that roommate loved to eat was potted meat. And he would leave scraps of that potted meat, like the crust of the sandwich with a little potted meat on it. He'd leave it like on the counter. And the other two guys living with him would just make fun of him constantly about the potted meat. And uh, whenever they would razz him too much, his response that he, would, that he would come up with was, listen, at least it's been approved by the FDA as suitable for human consumption. Uh, you know, we can kind of laugh because that doesn't sound like a very good defense for it, does it? It, it doesn't sound like a very good defense for a, a, a food product to say, at least it meets the minimum standards of the FDA for human consumption. Say, well, you know, I mean, that's not saying a whole lot. 
But spiritually speaking, when we feel convicted for whatever reason of what we're spending our time looking at, thinking about, reading, listening to, the things that we're pouring into our life, if the Holy Spirit does speak to us and prompt us or make us uncomfortable, it is so easy for us to respond by saying, well, at least it meets the minimum standards for a Christian to consume. But see, that's not the way Paul is calling us to live. Paul says instead, I want you to approve the things that are excellent. And this is the tragedy. What I want to point out for you is when we're living on that level spiritually, where we're consuming things that don't meet the criteria that Paul has set out in this passage, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. I'm not, and and please understand, I'm not talking about things that are sinful. I'm talking about just filling your minds with with, with cruft, with things that are unnecessary, and, and, uh, and, and maybe things at times that do create a question mark in your mind. A person, I believe a person can be a Christian and live that way for some time. But you are going to pay a price. And the price is not just, well, are you telling me that, that I'm going to backslide? Probably sooner or later, if that's the way you live your life, you will. Just like if somebody, physically speaking, if they fill their their stomachs with junk food, sooner or later it's going to take a physical toll to the point that, uh, you know, sugar for a diabetic does become a poison. But what I'm focusing on here is long before it does that, it's going to rob you of vitality. And in this context, in this passage, Paul says it is by following these things that the peace of God reigns in our hearts. And in fact, he ends by saying, the God of peace shall be with you. Not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. Notice this. In the end of verse 9, look at the beginning of verse 7. The peace of God shall keep your hearts, in verse 7. In verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. Aren't those beautiful bookends? Now, when you read that, don't you think to yourself, that's what I want to have in my life. That's what I want my life to look like. I want the peace of God to reign in my hearts. I want the God of peace to be with me. But here's what I want to tell you. If that's going to be what your life looks like, it will cost you something. I am really grateful that I grew up in an environment um, and will you all stay with me here for just a minute? I grew up in an environment where at the end of revival, I have seen this happen more than once. Maybe I've been part of this maybe four or five times. I've been to the, the, the bonfire that we would have at the end of the revival when people would bring clothes and music and movies and books and toss them into a fire and burn them up. Has anybody else been to something like that before? Anyone here? So I'm I'm kind of weird, right? I'm different. I've been to uh, I've been to times after the end of a revival when somebody took a sledgehammer and smashed the front of their TV in, right out there in front of the church. Now, what we didn't realize when we took part of that TV smashing is that it was a rent to own. And they were still paying it off. And they did that two different revivals with two different rent-to-own TVs. But, you know, 
takes all kinds, doesn't it? They still, I think they paid it off, but you know, that'd be kind of a bummer, paying off something that you've already broken. Um, I'm thankful that I'm part of that, but you know, I've thought about how hard, how hard would that be to do now to have a bonfire? Because it's not any longer just about what people are having on their TV, is it? What all would we have to smash to really take care of it? I can watch all those things on my cell phone and my tablet and a hundred other screens around us. And what that highlights is the fact that we need to have something happen down in our hearts. Because the principle, the principle is still there. Now, I want you to notice something. I mentioned earlier that when Paul, when Paul gave this list, this wasn't a list of spiritual virtues. This was a list of moral virtues that even the world would agree are healthy and wholesome. So I'm not talking about eliminating from your life everything that's good, uh, that's enjoyable, that's beautiful, that, you, that, that is something that's pleasant for you. Just like when we talk about food, I don't mean eliminating all salt, butter, and sugar from your diet. There are wonderful things in life that maybe they aren't overtly Christian, but a Christian can subscribe to them, enjoy them, and, and, and listen to them, or watch them, or read them, and, and get good from them. But then there are some things that no one should subject themselves to. And we desperately need in our lives to adopt the kind of radical attitude that I grew up around. Because it's all far too easy for us to outgrow it. To kind of look back and say, well, that's kind of funny, but you know different strokes for different folks, and say, what would it look like in my life to adopt that same attitude? Let's make it real, okay? What apps would I have to delete from my phone to make my life look like that? What movies would I have to remove from my shelf if you're still old-fashioned enough to have those? What services should I unsubscribe to in order to live a life of excellence? Do you see what I'm saying? Because my prayer for us as a church is not that we get by. It's not that we, that, we, that we meet the minimum standards for Christian conduct. It's that we live lives of spiritual excellence. And this is not, a, it's not some secret formula. There are people that have this idea that genuine spirituality is about digging into to mystical portions of Scripture and finding secrets in the Bible that open up things to you that no one else really knows about. So you become some kind of spiritual superhero, some kind of, some kind of Clark Kent with a Bible under your arm because you just go in your prayer closet and you come out and you're like, wow, and everybody goes, look at him. It's Paul, it's Peter. No, it's our preacher. But that's not what the scripture teaches. This is not some kind of spiritual secret that nobody knows about. This is just the plain truth of God's word. And I've read where people have discussed, like, why is it that somebody will spend hundreds and even thousands of dollars on some kind of special nutritional supplement, some kind of oil, some kind of special, specialized diet, uh, on some kind of series of videos, when they could look at their lives and in five minutes they would have a pretty good idea of a list of things that they ought to change. And it wouldn't cost them anything financially. And why is it that instead we, we have to go somewhere? But isn't that human nature? 
because I don't want to fix the things I know about. I want to tell myself, I'm not in this condition because of choices I've made. I'm in this condition because I just don't have the right knowledge and information. But God has spelled out in his word what my life should look like. He's told me right here. Now, I want to be clear about something. Realize something. There's a reason why the scripture did not give us a comprehensive list of exactly what every single thing everybody ought to do to enable Brother Martin to stand up behind the pulpit and say, and, and lest you all misunderstood me, I'm glad my cell phone's sitting right up here so nobody thought that I was saying we should have a revival and at the end let's all smash our cell phones. I think as much as I love technology, the world would be a better place if the cell phones just all magically disappeared tomorrow. But that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the benefits of that technology. Use it when I'm preparing a sermon. It's a benefit when I'm contacting you all. When I'm writing emails, there's so many benefits to it. But it's a dangerous gift, right? It can also enable me to waste unbelievable amounts of time. But I am not talking to you all about a list of all the things you should get rid of. I have no desire for our church to come up with a list of approved media and disapproved media to tell you what books you're allowed to read and what books you're not allowed to read, what movies, what shows, and everything, so we can just we can all make sure that we agree about everything. Because unfortunately, that would just be one, it would be a great recipe for us getting in one big fight. Anybody that's ever tried to do that has fallen into it. But Scripture does give us principles that we get to apply on a personal level. In Romans, the book of Romans, Paul says, We are not under the law, but under grace, and therefore let not sin reign in your bodies. I find that so beautiful because he, he, he says, we're not under the law, but under grace. And I've heard people try to use that as if to say, I don't have to obey what God says. I don't have to live a life that's holy. But when he goes on to say, let not sin reign, what he's pointing out to them is, this isn't about a list of things that you do and don't. Because salvation is a gift of the grace of God. Instead, this is about our love for God and his love for us. And the transformative effect that that gracious gift that he gives us is in our lives. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce illustrates it like this. A husband and a wife. The husband's getting ready to go to a, to a, a work function um, that's, that's necessary for his work. And his wife says, honey, I know that there's a lot of young secretaries there that are going to be trying to catch your eye. So you better be back here by 1030 and you better not even so much as talk to one of those ladies there. You know, how's that going to make the husband feel as he walks away? He's going to say, she doesn't trust me and she's trying to control me and I'll just show her. Unfortunately, that would be too many people's attitude. But an attitude of love and grace in a home says, I don't want to do something that would displease and, 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 and make my wife feel insecure and, and hurt her. So I'm going to do the things that I know would please her. That's living under grace instead of under law. And, and, and Scripture gives us more principles. When he says, uh, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. In other words... I can, there's a lot of things that I can do that I probably shouldn't do. They're not going to be helpful for me. They're not going to be healthy for me. And a Christian is someone that looks at those things and says, I'm just going to live a life that honors 
the purpose for which God made me and the way in which he made me. And some of those things we can look, unfortunately, to the world, to a secular, uh, some of the names that I mentioned earlier, and they give you better advice that some of us preachers give. Because some of us preachers spiritualize it so much that when your life gets down to the nitty-gritty of what you have to do day in and day out, you say, none of these instructions really work for me. But God can help us to apply His Word in a way that's realistic, that's honest to our created order, and that helps us to live a life day to day that honors God and that works in real life. And then the final principle is, how is my freedom going to affect the spiritual life of the people around me. Yoshi sent me a, a little infographic uh, earlier this week, I think, that kind of worked through these things. It was great. It was, um, is, it, is it lawful? Is it helpful? And how does it affect the people around me? Um, now, that doesn't mean that I need to survey all the Christians around me every time I make a decision to make sure that everybody thinks I'm making the right decision. That's not what we're talking about. But it does mean that there are broad principles that I can look on and realize, you know, I might have freedom to do this, and it wouldn't affect or hinder me spiritually. But my influence might affect and hinder someone else. And so, therefore, I I can choose not to do so. And the beautiful thing about our walk with God is that His Spirit within us gives us freedom to not do things. Do you know that, that the attitude of rebellion and... Self, um, self-will can become a bondage and addiction. I have noticed this in the way people are responding to the world that's around us right now. You have the idea that there are some people, they couldn't obey the government if it saved their life. They are determined they are not going to listen to anybody. Ain't nobody going to tell them what to do. And you reach a point where that becomes a bondage. Uh, There's a a great story that my kids love to listen to. It's a kid's story, but the lesson in it is so powerful. And it's a lesson about a a little guy locked up in a cage, a little creature. His name is Bjorn. And the reason why he's been locked up is because he's a disobedient Smivenbiven. If you ever hear me call my kids a disobedient Smivenbiven, you know where it comes from, right? He's a disobedient Smivenbiven. And as the, one, as the one character says, he's a menace to everyone, including himself, because he has to disobey everything. He will not obey. And so when he's released from his cage, he goes around and, and breaks all the rules. He rips all the tags off all the mattresses. You know, the one that says, do not remove this tag under penalty of law. He has to tear that tag off. But what is so awesome about the story as it unfolds is that that little creature is... Is, is put back in his cage and sent back into bondage. You know how they did it? They put out signs that say, do not go back in the cage, Bjorn. So you know what he has to do? He has to get back in the cage because he has to disobey. But that's not what God's called us to, has he? He's called us to freedom where we're free to obey, free to love God, free to love his word, free to order our lives according to his word. And we find as we walk this path, we find freedom, happiness, forgiveness, peace, and joy. Not because we're blazing a trail on our own little path doing whatever makes us happy, but because we're following God's instructions for a life of righteousness.
And Paul says, if you do these things, the God of peace is going to be with you. And, and the, James Boyce points out that that phrase, and the God of peace shall be with you, is not connected to what he's just said, do all the things you saw me do. It's actually connected to that list of virtues. In the Greek, it's saying, do these six things, you know, focus on whatever's true, whatever's just, whatever thing's honest, uh, of, of good report. Think on these things. And then he says, you saw me live out this way. The things that you saw, you heard, you, you um, received, you learned from me. Don't you love that, that Paul connects this not to just a list of things on a page, but to the way he lived his life? And one of the reasons why God has given us the gift of the church is because he knew as humans we are so bad at reading directions. And we're so much better at seeing something lived out. Part of the popularity of things like YouTube is I, I think some of you all learn a lot of things on YouTube, right? Because instead of reading a list of things, do this, do that, instead you watch someone do it. And there's something about watching someone do it. You watch their hands. Their, their, there's all kinds of uh, um, things that might be important to the finished product that don't come through on a printed page, right? And that's our spiritual life. That's part of the secret of the incarnation, that Jesus came in a, in a physical body to show us what holy living, righteous living looked like. And Paul had people model this living for him, and he modeled it for others. So there's two things I want to leave you with in a challenge here. First of all, my prayer is that my life will be one you can model yourselves after. And it's not because I'm some super spiritual somebody. It's because I had the privilege. I may not have gotten to watch uh, and, and live around really, really great guitar players until I learned to be the kind of guitar player I wish I was. But I lived around spiritual excellence and I learned from it. I lived around people that were godly, holy people, and, and I picked up a few things. And then what I want you to do is, I don't want you to stop there. Because too often what we do as we, as we learn from a model is we say, you know what, I, I like some things, and this is okay to a certain extent. In other words, we're not creating carbon copies of one another. But when we do have an instruction book, and then we have an incarnated spiritual reality before us, we compare those two and we say, you know what, I'm not going to cut the corners on my own spiritual life to say, well, you know, I mean, I probably shouldn't, and I probably should, and I need to change this, and I should change that. But, you know, close is close enough. My wife has had to teach me how much close is close enough is not true. Because I apply that principle of close is close enough to the way I clean, the way I mop, the way I do the dishes. And she hates it when I'll do up the dishes and there's just like four left because they were odd-shaped items or I wasn't exactly sure what to do with them or where to put them up. Because to her, I don't know why, where she got this idea, but to her, if you're going to do the dishes, do all of them. In her mind, if you're going to mop the floor, clean all of it. Get in all the corners. And I'm learning. You know what I want you to do in your life? Do that. Don't leave a stack. Don't leave corners. 
Don't do a slipshod job. Instead, pursue spiritual excellence with single-minded devotion. You say, I'm not going to try to figure out if I can cut a corner here and there. Instead, I'm going to say to myself, God, fill me with your spirit. Enable me to walk in a, a, a way of holiness and give me the strength of character and the determination to eliminate the things from my life that hold me back from spiritual excellence. I think if you would do that for a day, a week, a month, a year, you could look back and say, oh my, what a transformation has come in my life. All those things seemed so small, but when you put them together, they changed who I am. They remade my character. And they drew me closer to God. The issues that I have been dealing with over and over again, failure. Think about what are the problems in my life? What are the things I wish God could fix? For some of us, it's our mouth. We wish God would fix our mouth. We wish he'd help us shut up more often. But so, so often, the key to victory in one area is actually found in other areas that may not even seem that connected. But as we begin to solve those things, you know why? It allows the Spirit of God to work in our lives in a more unhindered way. Paul says, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The things that you've heard and seen in me, live those out so that when other people look at your model, you didn't cut corners. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why it's so important because this is not about one person standing up front modeling and then everybody else is like, well, that's nice and aspirational, but I couldn't do that. Instead, it's about saying, okay, that's a real human and I can model that. And then when other people look at you, they begin to model genuine spirituality. But if you're in your own life, you say, you know, I don't want to, you know, get too uptight about things. Then people look at you and they cut even more corners because just like spiritual excellence is contagious and it draws others, spiritual shoddiness can also be contagious. Where we infect one another with a spirit of spiritual sloth and where instead of, instead of victory and progress, instead it's just not really getting much of anywhere. But that's not what God desires for us. He wants us to approve the things that are excellent so that we look back and realize that we've been transformed. And Paul says that this whole process someday, because there's always going to be a a goal that we're aiming for, but someday we're actually going to reach it. We're going to achieve it. We're going to see Jesus, and Paul says when we see him, we will be like him because we'll see him as he really is. And everyone that has that hope purifies himself even as he is pure. In other words, the hope that someday I will achieve what right now I'm working towards gives me energy and focus so that right now I keep working towards that end. If I understand faith, it's not counting on me. It's the hope and assurance of what I can see. It's the daily relying on Jesus to be. Providing more grace faithfully Further proving His great love for me With grace for the moment All that 
Grace for.